When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation. It's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA Podcast brought to you by our awesome friends at Alumni Hall. If you are a Georgia Bulldog fan, trust me, it is in your best interest to become very well acquainted with our friends at Alumni Hall because they have the best selection of George gear that you're going to find anywhere on planet Earth. Trust me, it doesn't matter what style you're looking for, what brand you're looking for, Alumni Hall is going to have you covered, so make sure to check them out today or whenever you are in need of some Georgia gear, which for me is pretty much an everyday thing, but Alumni Hall, guys, they've got you covered. But all right, guys, I am your host, Tyler Curtis. Unfortunately, wasn't able to make it on here today. We tried to make it work, but he and his uh, his wonderful fiance had an event they had to attend today. And again, we tried to make it work a little bit, move our schedules around, but just we just weren't able to make it happen. But but we're gonna try to get him back on later this week for our official G Day preview episode, leading in to Saturday's G Day scrimmage. So hopefully we'll have him back then. But for today, guys, you got me, and I am here to recap. All the things that we learned coming out of week four of Georgia spring practice. We only have one week left. It's hard to believe we are almost there to G-Day. We'll get our our first and only look at the team prior to uh, kickoff in early September. So we will definitely have plenty more to talk about this time next week when we're recapping everything that went down at G-Day, everything that we actually got to see with our own two eyes. But I do have a few things to talk about today. Honestly, I'm going to be straight up with you guys up front here at the outset of the show. There wasn't a ton coming out of this fourth week of spring football practice that we haven't already discussed in previous weeks here on the podcast, but but I was able to tap a few sources, and Kirby did speak to the media after practice on Saturday, and as far as head coaches go, Kirby's usually pretty forthcoming with with what's going on with the team and how guys are performing. Now, certainly there are things that that he is not going to disclose. We all know that. But he does kind of, sometimes he'll just flat out tell you something, but he also leaves a lot of clues out there. And uh, he says things in a way that you can really kind of read between the lines of what he's trying to say. So I have a few things I got from a couple different sources. We got some things coming out out of Kirby's press conference. So let's not waste any more time. Let's dive right in. And let's start with Thursday's scrimmage. Now, I know that sounds kind of weird if you're like me and you follow these things very closely and you anxiously await any sort of news, any sort of feedback, any sort of information you get from sources coming out of each of these scrimmages because that's where 
I don't want to say it's the only place that positions are won and lost, but as I've told you guys before on these episodes, recapping spring practice, that is what the coaches put more of a premium on than anything else because that is the closest that they can get to replicating an actual game setting in a game environment. So they do matter. And I am always very excited to get some information, some feedback coming out of these scrimmages, whether it's spring practice, whether it's fall camp. Fall camp even more so because that's that's when position battles are decided. I mean, don't get me wrong. Spring practice certainly plays a role in that, but there's very few position battles that are going to be definitively decided in spring practice. Now, it'll give the coaches an idea. Okay, going into the summer, going to fall camp, this guy's ahead, or this is a guy that we think can help us. This is another guy that we think can help us. All of that certainly matters, but these position battles are truly decided in fall camp. So yeah, I really look forward to all those scrimmages. But anyway, yes, if you follow these things and you are, are used to the scrimmages coming on the weekends, which they generally always do, Hearing me say Thursday scrimmage might sound a little strange, because it is. Well, a lot of you out there live in the great state of Georgia, and even if you don't, I'm sure you were paying attention to the Masters. You saw what Saturday was like. It was, um, I don't want to say it was a torrential downpour all day, but it was a nasty day. It was raining all day. It was going to all week long. You can see that in the forecast, and sure enough, it was just a, a ridiculously terrible, ugly day. So our coaches had the foresight. So you know what? Let's go ahead and let's change things up. Let's flip Thursday was Saturday. I know it's not ideal because if you flip things, if you flip the scrimmage to Thursday, that means you miss a day of install because we have an install schedule where we're like, okay, we're going to put this in on Tuesday, this in on Thursday, and so we'll be ready to roll this during the scrimmage on Saturday. So I kind of messed that up to a degree, but hey, the bottom line is we got to scrimmage. That's really what matters. I mean, look at Auburn, right? I don't know if any of you call Auburn's A-Day their their spring game. I mean, it's hard to even call that a spring game, and they, they can barely play. Guys are like sliding, like it was slip and slide out there on the, on the turf in Jordan-Hare Stadium. I mean, I, I tried to watch some of them. I was like, I, I can't get anything out of this. Like, there's absolutely nothing I can learn from this whatsoever. So we, fortunately, were not in the situation where we had to waste one of our scrimmages in an environment like that. Auburn, unfortunately for them, was, although it was a spring game. But still, like, we were able to get this scrimmage in, and that's important because we have some dudes that need to get reps, like game reps. And I know, again, a scrimmage is not a game. I understand that that's the closest thing that we have to replicating what a game is going to be like. So especially our quarterbacks, for instance, it's really important for those guys to get those reps, to see how that battle plays out, to see if they can show the coaches that, hey, I'm the guy. So it was just great to be able to get this scrimmage in. Obviously not ideal to have to do on Thursday and not Saturday, but we got it in. And here's what I was told coming out of Thursday's scrimmage. The first thing I was told was that the defense absolutely dominated this week. And it wasn't the defense wasn't good during the first scrimmage last weekend they were I mean, the Georgia defense is never not good but it wasn't an overwhelming performance and typically the defenses are ahead of the offense that's usually how scrimmages work especially at this point in the season when you're in spring practice and especially when you have a, a new quarterback you're trying to, to work in the system or at least try to figure out who your new quarterback is going to be so again it's not that our defense wasn't good in the first scrimmage but what you usually want to hear is that, is that the defense dominated and I, I know that's like well, well Tyler if the defense didn't dominate that means the offense must be pretty good right so it cuts both ways yes that's certainly true but again this time of year the defense typically is at the offense so if, if you're not hearing that it makes you start to wonder okay well what's going on with the defense so it was nice to see the defense kind of get back in the swing of things now again I know that means the offense didn't have as good of a day but it's still nice to hear some good things about this defense because we are replacing some really key contributors on this defense, whether it's Chris Smith, obviously Jalen Carter, Nolan Smith. There's some big-time guys that we're having to replace, so it's nice to hear that uh, that we were able to put up a really, really strong scrimmage on the defense side of the ball. What I was told is that 
our defense just absolutely made life miserable, made it very difficult for the quarterbacks, and they were getting pretty consistent pressure for the vast majority of the scrimmage. So, again, I guess good for the defense, and that makes you feel a little less confident about what we have offensively, but that's kind of how these scrimmages go. Usually it's the defense that's ahead of the offense at this stage, so I'm, I'm not going to be too alarmed by, by hearing that. But I do want to go uh, to the quarterbacks here. So I, I know, guys, I know that we've talked about the quarterbacks. I think every single week that we've done these recaps during spring practice, and there's a reason for that. This is the position that we get the most questions about, guys. I'm just going to be honest with you. All the, all the questions we get about spring practice, I'm not going to say all of them, but the vast majority of the questions that we've gotten are about the quarterback position, and that's to be expected because it is the most high-profile position on any football team. And I told you many times, I think it's the most important position on any football team. So while, yeah, I guess maybe we might be beating a dead horse here talking about the quarterback battle every single week, it's kind of what people are asking about. So we want to make sure we get the people we want. That's what we try to do here. So let's talk about it real quick. I know we talked a lot about last week. Heck, I even spent a good bit of time diving into it on the Friday 5 episode at the end of last week. But I want to give you guys an update on what I heard through this week. What I've gotten out of this, and we kind of alluded to this last week to a degree, but I, I was told kind of point blank this week that this quarterback battle is a is a two-man race at this point. And that's not necessarily, I guess, to say that Gunnar Stockton can't get back into it at some point. Like maybe if if Vandegrift or Beck just really start to nosedive and they falter down the stretch, maybe that might open up a window for Gunnar Stockton. But right now, the top two guys, Beck and Vandegrift, have have clearly separate themselves from Gunnar Stockton. And and that's not a knock on Gunnar. Gunnar is the youngest guy in this competition. He didn't really take any reps with our offense during last season. Now he's watching, he's in the meeting rooms, and, and that helps, like being in the system certainly helps, but he was running the scout team and he got rave reviews for running the scout team. That's awesome. And he's a highly talented guy. But when you run the scout team, you're not actually repping your offense. You are running an opponent's offense. So while it's still great to get out there and get the experience because you're going against our number one defense, our best players, and that helps sharpen you, sure, absolutely, you're not actually getting reps in our offense, in our system. Beck absolutely was as our top backup to Stetson Bennett, and Vandergriff didn't get a ton, but he was at least getting more than what Gunnar Stockton was getting. Vandergriff was not running the scout team. And he also has a year on Gunnar in our system, so I'm not surprised by this. It doesn't mean that Gunnar Stockton is not a good quarterback. It doesn't mean that Gunnar Stockton is automatically going to transfer. I don't I don't, I don't think Gunnar's going to transfer. I really don't, because I, I think coming into this battle, you know, what Curtis and I were talking about, kind of my position has been, is that whoever loses the battle, whether it's Beck or Vandergriff, maybe one of them transfers. It just depends on when that happens. Like, when is, when is that decision made? Honestly, though, I wouldn't really transfer. Like, let's say that you find out midway through fall camp that you're not the guy. That you're going to be the backup. I know some guys might just say, screw it, man. I'm out of here. I'm going to go to my next destination, get started there, get a head start, and and move on with my life. And I, and I get that to a degree, but, you know, just because a guy beats you out initially doesn't mean that he's necessarily going to hold on to that job. I'll use, you know, we played TCU in the National Championship game last year, right, guys? And Max Duggan was amazing for TCU last year. Well, let's go back to the beginning of last year, guys. Max Duggan was not the starter for TCU coming into last year. It was it was Chandler Morris. And, and Duggan, he had started for TCU for a couple years coming into the 2022 football season, but he lost that job towards the end of 2021. Chandler Morris got, he started, I think he started the last couple of games there. But it was, it, you get, have a new coach, Sonny Dice comes in, and it's an open quarterback competition. And Morris won the job in fall camp. And Max Duggan easily 
could have transferred out. In fact, I would say 98-ish and a half percent of quarterbacks around the country, if they lost job in fall camp like that and they're in Max Duggan situation, it's your final year. Like you could transfer and you could redshirt and you can start, you know, one final year somewhere else. They would have transferred out. But Duggan didn't do that. Now, part of that was Duggan, the love of TCU. He's been open about that. But you also never know what's going to happen. And what happened in the first game of the season against Colorado? Chandler Morris went out with an injury, missed the rest of the season, and the rest is history. Max Duggan became a, a legend for TCU. Now, not as legendary as he would have been if he, won, if he would have won the national championship. Sorry, Max. Sucks for you, man. But Max Duggan is maybe, in TCU's eyes, maybe the greatest quarterback they've ever had because of what he was able to do for them in 2022. And he would not have been able to do that if he would have just taken his ball and gone home and transferred because he, he lost a job coming out of fall camp. So injuries happen, and hey, you know what? The guy that might have beaten you out, maybe when the, the games actually get there and the lights get bright, maybe they don't actually perform like they need to when we're actually in those real game settings. Because remember... I mean, Beck's played some, yes, but he's never started a game. Uh, Vandegrift obviously has never started a game; has hardly played at all. You know, whoever gets that job, whoever whoever wins it and and starts the season, they might not be great right away, and maybe that opens the door for you to still have an opportunity later on the season. So I'm not so sure either one of them will transfer this season. We'll see how it plays out. But anyway, those two guys have separated themselves from from Gunnar Stockton. And the feedback I got this week was much the same as what it's been the past couple of weeks is that both guys look good and, and kind of take turns showing that they should be the guy. And they take turns making plays that are kind of like, okay, this is this is the kind of play that we need from a starting quarterback. But interspersed with that for both of these guys are some, some poor decisions. And that's something that has plagued both of them through spring practice. Vandegrift did get more of an equal split of the reps with the number one offense this week than he had in the previous weeks, and that's coming off of the first scrimmage where he had a really good day, at least a better day than Carson did. Because Carson did some really good things. Started off really hot in that first scrimmage from what I was told, but ended up throwing three picks and uh, made some questionable decisions. One of them, the one that was a pick six, allegedly, I didn't see it, but allegedly the one that was a pick six in the first scrimmage by Carson, I think it was Javon Bullard if I remember correctly. That was just a really bad decision, and it's kind of like one of those things like you simply cannot do that. And honestly, I I have to admit, I'm kind of surprised that it was Beck making those kind of decisions in this in that first scrimmage. I, I assume that would be Vandergrift. Because, you know, what we've been told and what we've expected is that Beck, being the veteran in the system, more veteran than anyone on the team, been in the system longer than any, any other quarterbacks in the quarterback room, and being Stetson's top backup last year, being the guy that actually got reps in games and actually got some reps with the ones during practice as, as the number one backup, you expect him to be the guy that is sharp in those decisions and is not making those kind of mistakes. And the younger guy who hasn't gotten as many reps and hasn't played in as many games is the guy that's making some of those poor decisions and he's got to kind of shake those things off. And I'm not saying that Brock has not made his fair share of mistakes. I mean, according to what I've been told is yes, he, he certainly has. But I have been somewhat surprised to hear that Beck has been making the number of mistakes in terms of decision making and, and in terms of trying to fit the ball into windows that maybe probably shouldn't be trying to fit him into as he has. That, that has been somewhat surprising surprising to me. But here is some good news when it comes to Carson Beck. And look, I don't have a dog in this fight. I, I'm not one of those guys that says, okay, I'm going to pick a guy before the season and that's my guy. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to root for him come hell or high water and I'm going to try to tear down the other guy and point any flaws in his game. That's not what I'm here to do, guys. I'm here to support all these guys. I want the best player 
to play for us. I want the guy who is going to give us the best chance to win quarterback position to win that job. Whether that's Bet, great. Whether that's Vandegrift, great. Whether it's Stockton who comes out of nowhere and wins the job, freaking awesome. Great. I don't care. I want a guy that's going to win football games for us. So I don't care who that ends up being. So when I say, hey, really good news that Carson Beck had a much better scrimmage the second time around than he did the first time, that's not me saying, thank God, I love Carson Beck. I want him to win this job. No, it's me saying, hey, I want all of our quarterbacks to do well. I want us to have really good options. And it's much better for us as a team in terms of hopefully winning games in the future if both quarterbacks perform well during the scrimmage. And it wasn't necessarily a banner day for either guy. At least that's what I was told. But I was told that that Beck looked a little bit sharper than Vandegrift in this second scrimmage and certainly had a much better scrimmage in terms of decision-making and protecting the football than he did the first time around. It was just tough for him because the for all the quarterbacks because the defense was just on fire on Thursday. But bottom line, the takeaway here when it comes to the quarterback battle is that this thing is not close to being settled right now. And this is going to be a competition into the summer months and on into fall camp. All right, guys, I got plenty more to break down for you today. But before we move any further, I do want to once again remind you guys about our good friends at Alumni Hall. I am fortunate enough to live in the great city of Athens, Georgia. So I get a chance to run over to Alumni Hall, you know, whenever I want to. I know that's not necessarily the case for all of you out there who live in other parts of the state or other parts of the country. But I also know that a lot of you will be coming into town for G-Day on Saturday. And if you're coming into town, if you're coming down 316, past the Coney Connector, right there in the Epps Bridge Shopping Center is Alumni Hall. Stop in, guys. Pick yourself up some new spring and summer gear. They got a ton of great new stuff out there. They got a ton of Georgia baseball stuff on the shelves. Got the new coaches polos that are out there. The early season coaches polos for Nike are out there. Got some great Cutter and Buck stuff. Got some great Johnny O stuff. And hey, last time I was in there last week, they still have some national championship stuff on sale right now. It's on discount. So make sure, guys, when you're coming into town, just do yourself a favor. Stop into Alumni Hall real quick on the way in, the way out. It doesn't matter. Hook yourself up. Hook your family members up. Hook your loved ones up. And they'll all love you for it. So make everyone happy by stopping at Alumni Hall when you get into town this weekend because Alumni Hall is where the Bulldog shop. All right, guys, let's keep this thing rolling. The next position I want to talk about, next update I got for you guys, is the inside linebacker position. Now, it's no secret to anyone out there who our top two guys are at inside linebacker. We know it's Pop Dumas Johnson. We know... That is Smile Munden. Those were the guys last year. They are going to be the top two guys this year, and they're going to be even better for us this year. And that's that's exciting because they were really good for us last year. So that's not what I want to talk about today. What I want to talk about are some of the young guys behind them who are really, really starting to come on and are earning themselves some playing time moving into the summer months, into fall camp, and eventually into the season. Curtis and I have talked about the newcomers at inside linebacker that are early enrollees on campus right now. We've talked about them a couple of times. But Raylan Wilson and C.J. Allen are dudes, and they are both going to be big-time players for us by the time their career is over. But of those two, the guy that I have heard the most consistently about this spring is C.J. Allen. And his name was brought to me more than a couple of times this week in particular. In fact, I was told by by one source this week that C.J. Allen is the first guy off the bench at inside linebacker. Like you have Pop, you have Smile, and then C.J. Allen is that next dude. Like He is right now in the rotation. Now, again, like position battles aren't necessarily decided right now, but our coaches are looking for who can help us right now. And C.J. Allen, as a true freshman early enrollee, has already shown coaches, hey guys, I can help you. And he is, from what I've been told, he is going to play this year. 
I personally am very excited to see him with my own two eyes at GA. I've seen his high school tape plenty of times. I want to see what he looks like right now and how he looks in our system. Very, very excited about that. We'll talk more about that with our GA preview. But I'm hearing a lot of really, really good things about CJ Allen. And that's not necessarily surprising because if you're paying attention, he was a guy that Kirby himself pointed out during one of his interviews, maybe a couple of his interviews, during the the bowl season, during the, the lead up to the Peach Bowl and the national championship game, as a guy, as one of these early enrollees who was here for bowl, for bowl practices, that was really, really impressing coaches and catching their eyes. So it's not altogether surprising, but to see him come in right away and involve himself essentially into the rotation at this point, at least very much in that conversation, I don't know if that was fully expected by most people out there. So that's really encouraging to, to hear a guy that's, has been on campus for a couple of months. He was here for bowl practice, so I guess he's been on campus for what, like five-ish months at this point, that he's already making that kind of a move. That's that's very exciting. But the other guy that I want to mention, that to be honest with you, Curtis and I haven't really talked about much through the first couple of weeks of spring practice, and that's Xavier Sori. Now, he's a guy, if you remember correctly, guys, I know that by the end of the year, it was Jalen Walker who was coming in in our third down package as that that extra linebacker, typically blitzing off the edge, dropping the coverage at times. But it wasn't Jalen Walker to start the season in that role. It was actually Xavier Sori. Now, he did ultimately end up losing that job, and you didn't really see him get much playing time after that. And so you start to wonder, okay, well, what's going on with this guy? He got beaten out by Jalen Walker. Did he just get recruited over? Like, you didn't hear much talk about him in the lead up to spring practice. Like, what's going on with, with Xavier Sori here? But this is always a guy that I really liked in high school. Now, his high school career is a little, is a little different. So he's initially played at a very, very small high school before transferring to IMG. So you weren't playing great competition against IMG. Obviously, in practice, you're going against some of the best players in the country. And you go out there and you play basically a bunch of high-level elite teams across the country. So the level of competition really picked up once he moved to IMG. But he was a guy that I, I talked about when, when we first landed him. So it was a couple of years ago now. And my whole thing with Xavier Sori was, where is this guy going to play? I know we recruited him as an inside linebacker, but he didn't play inside linebacker in high school. When he got to IMG, he was basically playing off the edge. That's what he was doing. He was an edge player. And so I, watching his tape in high school, I was like, okay, this guy's going to be a really good outside linebacker for us. And I'm not saying he, I, I didn't think he could be a good inside linebacker, but I never saw him do the things inside linebackers have to do. You know, read keys, dip and rip, stack and shed, attack downhill. I never saw him stand up off the line of scrimmage and do those kind of things. So I, I wasn't sure. I mean, I knew he was a really good athlete. I was like, sure, you know, give him some time. He could probably learn that position. I always always felt that the outside linebacker would probably be a more natural fit for him at the next level because that's just really what he did in high school. But the coaches, once he got here, they stuck, they put him in inside linebacker. And I was like, okay, like, I, I trust our coaches. I mean, I, these guys know far more about it than I do. They're out practicing this guy every day. I mean, I get it. It's fine. But I, I also saying that, it's like, okay, I think he can be a good inside linebacker, but I don't expect to be right away because he did not do any of that in high school. So it's going to be a, a pretty steep learning curve for him. I think that's what we saw last year. But this year, apparently, he, you know, he worked behind the scenes last year once he lost that job. To his credit, didn't put his head down, didn't go whine, didn't quit, didn't transfer out. He went to work. And I love guys like that. I love guys that just go to work and they get better. Guys like Chris Smith who didn't have the immediate gratification right away, but you go to work, you get better, and you know what? You earn your job. And that's kind of apparently what Xavier and Sori is doing right now. I did have somebody tell me 
earlier this week, hey man, like watch out for Xavier and Sorg. I was basically what I asked was like, hey, who are some guys that that no one's really talking about publicly, but are having good springs? And Xavier and Sorg was a guy that was mentioned. And I, to be honest with you guys, I kind of like shrugged it off. I was like, okay, yo, that's interesting. Because I was hearing more about C.J. Allen. Like he was the guy I was hearing more about the inside linebacker position. But to go along with what I heard, you have Kirby Smart coming along in his press conference. And he was actually specifically asked about Xavier. So I guess one of the reporters probably hearing some of the same things that I was hearing. So when they asked Kirby about it, here is what Kirby Smart had to say. Uh, he's rotated in with the ones. He's uh, shown some exceptional acceleration, flashes, um, Consistency is the biggest thing with him. Like there might be a, a mental lapse every now and then, and he'll be the first to admit it. That when he when he gets it right, he can be really good. Um, but he's 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 developing and he's he's rolling in with those guys and playing well. So there you go, straight from the horse's mouth. And I know last week, guys, I made you sit here and listen to me read like paragraphs of, of Kirby's quotes from his press conferences. So this week, I decided, you know what? Let's just let's just actually get the actual clips and let's put them in here. So I hope that made a, a little more bearable to listen to. But Xavier Soares, he's he's making a move. I had heard that, and to hear Kirby also say that, that seems to me to be some sort of confirmation that, again, I'm not saying that he's going to be a starter. I, I, our starters are set. But this is a guy that has had a really good spring and has put himself in a position to be in our rotation once the season hits. All right, next up, guys, let's move to the secondary real quick here. Again, this is nothing that's that's breaking news. We've talked about this in previous weeks. But let, let's go ahead and, and talk about a little bit more, update you on some things that I'm hearing behind the scenes. Tyke Smith continues to get a lot of reps with the number one defense at the star position, while Javon Buller continues to get a lot of reps with the number one defense at the safety position opposite Malachi Starks. If you've been listening to each of these What We Learned episodes throughout spring practice, that should not be news to you guys. We've talked about that a couple different times. What's new this week is that Kirby Smart commented on Tyke Smith specifically, and I thought his comments were very revealing in terms of where Tyke fits into this defense and the kind of position he's put himself in to get some serious playing time heading into the 2023 season. So here's another clip from Kirby's press conference. Tyke's been good. Uh, he's a leader. Um, he does a really good job punching balls out. There's things he's got to continue to work on to be able to be an every-down player for us. But he's tough. He's physical. He embodies what we want in a football player. And, uh, you know, Tyke's been through a tough road, guys. I mean, let's be honest. Before he ever got here, you guys, and I mean this in a nice way, had already labeled this guy to be an unbelievable All-American first team, just everything, because he started as a freshman at, at West Virginia. And he, he's had to come here and compete and really earn it, and he's been through some injuries. But without the injuries, this is the most competitive environment there is to go out and play. And uh, he's, he's taken that head on, and I think he's put himself in position to have a really, really good season the way he's, he's practiced and lived. So I don't know about you guys, but I feel like that's a pretty strong endorsement of where Tyke Smith is right now in his development and what we can expect of him in terms of playing time this season. Now, Kirby did stop short there of saying, oh yeah, he's he's our number one star right now. He's going to be a starter. Kirby doesn't really ever say those kind of things in press conferences. But again, read between the lines, read the tea leaves there. Based off what I've been hearing behind the scenes and what Kirby Smart just said there about Tyke Smith, I think it's starting to become pretty clear that Tyke Smith is going to play and play a lot for us this season. 
Okay, guys, let's move over to the other side of the ball, and let's talk about the position that our DBs tried to defend, and that, of course, is the wide receiver position. We know most of the big tight ends, right? We know Lad McConkey. We know Dominic Lovett's had a fantastic spring. That has not changed at all. It wasn't like it was one of those things where Dominic Lovett got off to a really hot start in spring and started to fizzle out. No, this guy has been dynamic all spring long, at least from what I've, from what I've been told. But we know him. We know guys like Marcus Rosemey, Jack Saint. We know a guy like Arian Smith. We know those names. And don't get me wrong, those guys have all had really good springs. They're all going to make a lot of plays for us this season. But there are a couple of other names that are not being mentioned very prominently publicly that are starting to really put together nice springs and really open some eyes out there in the practice field. And it's two young guys. Now, one guy is a true freshman early enrollee, and another guy is a, a, a rising sophomore. I guess he's a redshirt freshman, so he didn't really play much last year. But Yazid Haynes, as an early enrollee, has really started to make some plays the last couple of weeks, as has C.J. Smith, who is a part of the 2022 recruiting class. Haynes is a guy that is absolutely dynamic. I mean, if you watch his high school tape, you guys know what I'm talking about. Yeah, he's a smaller guy, 6'1", about 170, 175 pounds. Not big at all, but he fits that profile of a true, legit slot receiver. And you guys know, if you listen to this podcast over the years, you know that's position that I feel like we have not necessarily consistently had dynamic players there. I think Ladd is the closest we've had to that, but through injuries and attrition, he's been forced to have to play out wide at the X and the Z and hasn't really gotten to exclusively operate inside the slot, which is where I think he's most effective. Don't get me wrong, he's played there a lot, but he's also had to branch out and play other positions, which he has done a really nice job of, but I, I still think he's like a true slot receiver more than anything else. Dominic Lovett is, a, is that guy as well. I think Dominic, Dominic, just like Ladd, can play outside, but he's more of a true slot receiver. I think you can say much the same thing of Yazid Haynes. This is a guy that is electric with the ball in his hands. He has elite speed. He has really, really good short area quickness. All things that you want to see out of your slot receiver. And I think he's a guy that's going to make a lot of plays for us for years to come. C.J. Smith's a little bit of a different guy. Now, he is like Haynes, very fast. C.J. Smith is one of those track guys. Coming out of high school, he was a sub-10, 300-meter guy. 10 to 8, I believe, was his best time in high school. So while the speed is certainly similar, and he's probably faster than Yazid Haynes, certainly uh, at least in terms of 100-meter time, at least a verified 100-meter time, but he's also a little bit different that he's longer. He, he's not one of these guys that's six foot, six foot one. He's 6'3". Now, he, he needed to fill out last year. He played at around 175, 180 pounds last year. I don't know what he's at right now. We don't have those measurables. But you, you would imagine with another year, another offseason in our weight program, that he is probably added on some good weight. Guys tend to do that from their freshman to their sophomore year. So he's a guy that I do think is a guy that can play outside at the X, at the Z, that gives us both the size and the speed that you want at those positions. And guys, Kirby has made... It his mission to go out and recruit speed at wide receiver. And you know that that's a position where we haven't recruited as well over the past what, four to five years as we have pretty much every other position. Not to say that we haven't brought in some good players. We have. And we've done a really good job evaluating that position, bringing guys like A.D. Mitchell and Lad McConkey that were under-recruited. I think you can say much the same thing for Dylan Bell. I know Dylan Bell hasn't proved on the field as consistently as Ladd or AD did, but he, he showed some really nice things in his, in his freshman season. And I've, he's another guy that I've heard a lot of really good things about this spring as well. 
But there are also a ton of guys that we brought in that, that probably had no business playing at Georgia. So we have certainly made a concerted effort to upgrade the talent at that position. And part of that is recruiting guys that are more explosive, that have that one thing you cannot teach, that speed, that athleticism. We saw what Arian Smith was able to do just lining up and running a go route and how he and how he just turned around safety Lathan Ransom of Ohio State and made that guy fall over his own two feet. That puts pressure on defenses. And what we like to do with establishing our run game and go and play action vertical shots down the field, those play action shots become a lot more effective and put a lot more stress on the defense when you have elite speed at wide receiver. And that is what both C.J. Smith and Yazid Haynes bring to the table. So I'm very excited about those guys. I'm excited to see what they can do out there at G-Day. Because, we, I mean, C.J. Smith is on the team last year. Didn't really see much of him, if really any at all. Yazid Haynes, obviously, as an early enrollee, he's seen his high school tape. We want to see what he can do out there against, against an elite defense. All right, guys, let's move on a little bit here. The last little nugget I have for you guys in terms of what I'm hearing from behind the scenes from spring practice is regarding the special team unit. Now, and kicker is always a position that I am worried about because when you are a team that has been as good as we have been over the past couple of seasons and as good as I think that we are going to be this year, there's a very good chance that you're going to be playing in games with very high stakes. SEC championship games, potential college playoff games, potential national championship games. And when you play in those types of games, typically speaking, you are going to play other elite teams. Now, do some teams get into the playoffs that aren't really elite? Yes, we've seen that usually there's one one or two every year, at least one every year. But regardless, you're going to be playing some very, very good football teams when you get into postseason. And when you play very good football teams, no matter how good you are, the margins in those games can be exceedingly small. We saw that firsthand at the Peach Bowl last year against Ohio State. We saw their kicker miss a field goal right as time was expiring, the midnight miracle, right? But we also saw our kicker, Pod Lesney, miss two field goals of his own. If, if Pod would have made those two field goals that he missed, Ohio State has to go for it there. They have to try to get a touchdown. Very different ball game. When you play good teams like that, where the talent gap is marginal, it can very easily come down to special teams, specifically down to your kicker. So that's always a position I'm very worried about. Obviously, we were in great hands for a long time with Rodrigo Blankenship. Pod did a great job for us for a couple of years. I always felt comfortable and confident with when Pod was put out there in big moments and goes to go back to the Peach Bowl in 2020 in the COVID year against Cincinnati. That was a huge kick, an absolutely monster kick by Pod. So while he might not have been Rodrigo Blankenship, Pod was really, really good for us. And this year, we don't have Jack Pod Lesney, but we do have a guy that has been on scholarship for a couple of years in Jared Zirkel. And he's every single year over the, over the past two seasons, he has been given opportunity to go out and win that job and take it from Pod Lesney. And he has not been able to do that. Pod was more consistent and uh, was able to hang on to that job. But Zirkel is a guy that we offered a scholarship to coming out of high school. That isn't altogether common. There's a lot of programs that don't really do that with kickers. They just try to find walk-ons, have competitions. You'll see some teams here and there throughout scholarships, but it's not something that every team does. We felt it was important enough to offer a kicker, and we felt that Zirkel was the guy that was deserving of one of those scholarship offers. And Hey, guys, scholarships are precious. They are very, very precious. You only have so many to give out. So when you're willing to give one out to a kicker, that means you believe in this guy. So it's been two years, been on campus for two years, has not won the job, but now he has a prime opportunity. And I was told early in spring practice, it wasn't that he was bad, he just was kind of inconsistent at times, which is not something you want to hear about your kicker. But I have been told over the past week or two that he's really, really started to come on. And, and Kirby kind of echoed those thoughts as well in his press conference. It was kind of an offhand comment, but he did mention that Zirkel had done a really good job over the past couple of practices. So that's great to hear. Now, he is not going to just be handed the job. 
We gave another kicker a scholarship in the 2023 class, a kid by the name of Peyton Woodring out of Louisiana. And he's not on campus right now, but he will be coming in this summer. So he will factor in the competition as well. I, I would imagine that Zirkel is going to have the lead going into fall camp, but Woodring will be given an opportunity to compete for that job. But it's certainly nice to hear that as of right now, the most recent update I have with Zirkel is that he's really, really straightened things out. He's done a really good job over the past week or two. And then when it comes to return men, I've gotten a couple of questions over the past several weeks about like who's going to be the kick returner, who's going to be the punt returner. Is it going to be Lad McConkey as our punt returner like he did most of last year? What about kick returner? Kiaris Jackson is gone. And what I've been consistently told is that Dominic Lovett is is the guy. He's not the only one getting reps with the return units. Lad McConkie's still getting reps with the punt return unit. Dejan Edwards is getting some, some reps as well. So there are other candidates, but what I've been told is that Dominic Lovett, as good as he has been at the receiver position, he might be even more impressive as a return man. This guy is just apparently dynamic with the ball in his hands. And he was last year when I saw this guy play at Missouri. That's not surprising to me, but Apparently, he has just been turning heads with what he's been able to do in the return game. So that has me excited because, you know, we've, we've had some solid returners, but we haven't really had a dynamic return game in a while. I mean, Isaiah McKenzie was really, really great in that role for us. And Lad has had his moments. He had some really nice returns for us. But I also think it's fair to say he hasn't been exactly dynamic in that role. And I think Lovett gives us a chance to be dynamic in the return game, which if you add that to what we can do offensively, and obviously how good that we are defensively, which we know we're always going to be under Kirby Smart, that just takes our game up another notch. Okay, guys, that's all I've got for you when it comes to spring practice news and updates. But I do quickly, before I get out of here, I want to throw a couple of recruiting updates your way. We got a massive commitment over the weekend, both literally and figuratively, from a dude named Ellis Williams from Charlton County. This dude's 6'7", 235 pounds. He's listed as a tight end. At least that's how it's been being reported. And don't get me wrong. He has the skill set to develop into an elite tight end prospect. But he's a guy that could just as easily play outside linebacker force as well, play on the edge force. He has that kind of ability, that kind of athleticism. He is a freak athlete at that size, 6'7", 235. So he's got the height of a Darnell Washington. Now he's not as big and thick and strong as Darnell right now. But this guy is crazy athletic at that size. Since apparently we are recruiting him as a tight end right now, I'll give you my quick thoughts on his skill set as a tight end. He is a guy at the high school level at Charlton County that, that has shown the ability to both play inline and to flex out. He has outstanding length, but he does need to fill out his body. He has a great frame, but he still needs to continue to fill out that frame, get bigger, get stronger, which he will. The guy's only 16 years old. By the way, this is a 2025 group, so he's not coming in next year. It'll be two more years. He's a sophomore right now. He'll be a junior next year. So when the dude is 6'7", 235, and moves the way he does as a 16-year-old sophomore in high school, it's scary how good this guy can be. But as a receiver, he really shows fantastic ball skills for a guy as young as he is. The thing that maybe surprised me the most about his game is that he is a really solid route runner. And the reason that is somewhat surprising to me, it's a couple things. Number one, when you're that big and that strong and that athletic, especially when you play at Charlton County, a smaller school, and you're playing against other smaller schools, usually you can just out-athlete people and you don't have to be as technically sound. It just doesn't matter because you're just that much bigger, faster, stronger than everyone that you're playing against. They just simply cannot match up with you from a physical standpoint. You just don't have to worry about the technical side of things. And number two, again, he's only a sophomore. And number three, 
he's ostensibly a tight end. So all those things, you, you, you put them together, it's like, okay, well, he's a guy that really doesn't have to worry about technique that much in high school. He's just bigger, stronger than everybody else. He's really a tight end. He plays inline a lot. So those guys usually aren't great route runners, at least not like you would see from a wide receiver. And he's still really, really young in his development at that position as a sophomore in high school. So I am surprised, but very pleasantly surprised to see that he is as polished of a receiver as he is. I've done that doesn't mean that he cannot improve. Absolutely, he has room to improve. But I was, I'm was i very excited about where he is and his development as a pass catcher right now at this stage in his career. And it just, again, it's just scary how good this guy will end up being. If he continues on that trajectory and gets into a college program, this guy is going to be legit. Whether he ends up playing tight end, which is seemingly what we're recruiting him as right now, or if he ends up on the defensive side of the ball as an edge rusher. But regardless, just he's the kind of guy you want to get. Like You get him, you get him on campus, and you figure out what to do with him once you get him on campus. Like He is that kind of athlete. You just simply cannot turn that kind of guy down. And he is a big-time athlete. And I've got to hold on to him for a couple of years. But uh, you know, in his in his commitment interviews, he was very clear. He's like, I'm a Georgia boy, right? I'm a Georgia guy playing Charlton County. And if I'm given an opportunity to join this Georgia dynasty of my home state school, how can I possibly turn that down? Usually we do really well sticking with those kind of guys. These guys in like the bigger cities, the, the metro area that might not have the ties to the state that you sometimes have to worry about long term when you, when you get their commitment two years in advance before their uh, actual signing day. But this is the kind of guy that I get the feeling is going to stick with his commitment. And we'll see. Things are certainly always subject to change when it comes to recruiting. But this is just another feather in the cap for Todd Hartley. I mean, this guy, all this dude does is recruit number one, number two tight ends in the country. You go back, you know, Brock Bowers, number one tight end in the country. Darnell Washington, number two. Pierce Spurlin, number two. Landon Thomas, who we've got committed in the 2024 class from Colquitt County. He's number one in the country at the tight end position. And here's the next one in line, another number one tight end in the 2025 class. So just Todd Hartley, like the best recruiter in the country. Like, is he like as a position coach, is there a better, is there a a position coach anywhere in the country that is as consistent landing his top targets as Todd Hartley? Now I know he's a tight end coach. We only get one or two a year, but dude, there's no one in this country in the United States of America that is landing his top targets as consistently as Todd Hartley. I mean, this guy is just an absolute animal on the recruiting trail. And I saved the best for last, guys, so I'm going to leave you with this. Now, this is not hard news. This is not me reporting something that has been reported by, by someone else or anything that I've heard. This is just me reading between the lines, reading the tea leaves, okay? When it comes to recruiting, oftentimes, that's what you have to do. And reading between the lines, reading those tea leaves, I continue to feel better and better about our odds of landing number one overall prospect, quarterback Dylan Rayola, out of Arizona. And the most recent development that has me feeling more and more and more confident about our chances to land Rayola is that USC, who was, from all accounts, all these recruiting writers out there have reported, basically, it's it's more or less down to three teams. It's Georgia, it's Nebraska, where his uncle is, is the offensive line coach, where his dad played, dad was an All-American, and USC. Because, you know, he's a West Coast guy. He's out in Arizona, not in California, but in Arizona. And USC with, of course, Lincoln Riley developing Heisman winner after Heisman winner in his offense. It, it, you know, USC is, is at least a, a natural option for Riola. But the word on the street right now, according to recruiting writers and their reports, is that USC is starting to focus more of their attention 
on another quarterback in this class, a guy named Elijah Brown, who's actually from California and plays at Matter Day. And he's a really good player in his own right. He's the number three quarterback in this class, number 33 overall. But this is even coming from like USC recruiting writers. They have been reporting that USC is fading with Riola and really turned up the heat on Elijah Brown. And then there are also the comments by Lincoln Riley. He made it some function, might have been a booster function of some sort, where he was essentially alluding to the idea that there might be a, a recruit out there in the country that doesn't like the fact that he's having to compete at USC. And if you don't want to compete, then USC is not the place for you. Now, obviously, he didn't call him out by name because legally you can't do that with the NCAA. That's against NCAA rules. But it was fairly thinly veiled, and you can kind of read between the lines there. So if USC, as it appears, is kind of fading in the in the Riola sweepstakes and is not as much in the picture, that leaves two schools. It leaves Georgia and that leaves Nebraska. If it, if it is indeed down to Georgia and Nebraska, man, I really, really like our chances because as we have told you before, Dylan Riola has one official visit set up right now. And that official visit is to the University of Georgia. In fact, he canceled his scheduled follow-up visit to Nebraska. He, he visited Georgia the first week of spring practice, and he went to Nebraska the next week, and he was supposed to go back to Nebraska for their spring game, but he canceled that trip. He also canceled a trip that he had scheduled out to Oregon for their spring game. So, man, look, I, I don't have any inside information here. I'm just a dude. I'm just a guy that's reading between the lines here, but all the signs, all the signs that I'm seeing here are very clearly pointing in one direction. And that is towards Athens, Georgia. Nothing is ever a done deal in recruiting. I've been following this stuff long enough to understand that nothing is ever official until that letter of intent is actually signed. Now with the transfer portal, that doesn't really matter as much. So there is still time for things to change and new developments to pop up. But as of right now, based on everything that we have learned recently, it very much looks like we are the leader for Dylan Riola. And man, that is a very, very good feeling. So we'll see. We'll see how that goes. But all right, guys, that's all I got for you here today. Hopefully, I'll have Curtis back with me for our G-Day preview episode later this week. But even if Curtis can't jump on here, I will be back. One way or another, you will have a Glory UGA G-Day preview episode for your listening pleasure here on Wednesday night. So make sure to check back for that, guys. I appreciate you. I hope everyone has a fantastic week. G-Day is almost here, guys. I'm pumped for it, and I know all of you are as well. But thank you again for being here, guys. I'm Tyler, and as always, go dogs.